Good morning. I'm just going to start out by praying. God, you are um, worship you for being good to us, for being faithful to us, Lord. Thank you for blessing us free through your son, Jesus. Lord, uh, be honored and glorified through this time in your word. God, may we be a people who accept your word in all its counsel, not just part. Father, help us to remain in you in the midst of our culture, in the midst of temptation. In Jesus' name, just take this time, pray, amen. Uh, So in campus ministry, one of the strategies when it comes to large group outreaches where we're trying to do as many students as possible uh, is a Christian illusionist uh, named The Maze. And the guy's name is Jim Monroe, and he's crazy good. Uh, We had him at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, uh, and the event is in the evening. And basically, the biggest part of his promotion for the event is him going around on campus just freaking students out with his tricks. Uh, No no clue how he did any of it, Um, but it was successful. Over 500 showed up that night. Uh, Standing room only, the the workers from the campus that were working the event, setting it up, were were just floored at how many people came to a Christian event. Uh, It was really cool. Uh, One trick during that evening was particularly crazy. Part of the trick was that he got a random student up there. He gave him uh, the Kansas City phone book and said, pick one phone, uh, pick one phone number out of the book and tell it to me. And so the student flips through a bunch of pages, tells uh, Jim, the illusionist, uh, the phone number. And uh, Jim does all kinds of crazy tricks with the phone number at first. But the climax of uh, the, the trick was that at the very end, he had the student get up. And uh, Jim pulled off the huge tablecloth of the table that the student was sitting at, uh, which revealed the phone number that the student picked in huge numbers taped across the whole table. Uh, It was was under the tablecloth the whole time before the student picked it. It was crazy. I have no idea how he did it. Anyway, it looked as real as anything. And it was cool. At the end, he, um, at the end of the show, he basically tells Uh, the audience that everything was fake, he's not a real magician, Uh, it was not real magic, Uh, and then shares basically um, how one can know what is really true in life, even in the midst of all the uh, illusions. But similarly to that illusionist presentation, uh, life is full of counterfeit things, right? Things appearing real and reliable but aren't. Things that seem like they're de- and promising, but they don't deliver. And we, we're all pretty much duped daily. I know I am. Where we buy into something that appears to be real and true, but it turns out to not be. And so how can we really tell what is true, what's reliable, what's real in life, and what's not? And so we'll be looking at the next passage in our First John series. It is First um, John 2, 15 to 27, where he He um, identifies some of the things that are counterfeit in life, and then also what can be trusted on, what can be depended on. Verse 15, do not, hold on, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes, the pride of life 
comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Do not love the world. And then it says, the, what kind of define what it's talking about the world, what defines the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And so quick summaries of those can be, uh, the lust of the flesh can be idolizing pleasure, like bodily pleasure. pleasure. The lust of the eyes can be idolizing possessions, uh, wanting things that are not ours, always wanting more, always wanting new things can be a part of that. And then the pride of life is idolizing power. <clears throat> it's trying to control people or circumstances. Uh, the Greek word for pride there can mean insolence, it, trusting in one's own power, empty assurance. And this is one I like, an empty presumption that trusts in the stability of earthly things. Interesting, it's empty, it's empty. Verse 17 says that these things pass away, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life will not last. What lasts is the person who does the will of God. And I'm gonna come back to this, but we'll move on to the next section. Verse 18, dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now, many antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. <clears throat> A couple things I want to comment on here. Number one, time tells. Uh, in this diagram, just as an example... Uh, the two lines can represent two people in the directions that they're going with their life, with their affection, with their doctrines, with their emphasis, etc. And in time frame A, which is rather short, uh, gosh, it seems like, you know, they're, they're, the two people are not all that much different. They're probably experiencing fellowship. Things are going, way, uh, going well. But as time goes by, even a slightly different direction becomes more obvious until at some point it just becomes like a huge chasm. Um, and this is why Paul tells Timothy in his, in his letters not to be hasty in the laying on of hands or that the elders that he's to appoint shouldn't be a convert because time tells. The Antichrist ended up leaving their fellowship because time tells. Second thing in the paragraph uh, those few verses that I just read, there's this phenomenon that like believers in every generation seem to have thought, gosh, Christ's return is imminent, like very, very soon in my lifetime. And we certainly see that in the New Testament letters. Uh, we see it in the writings uh, of Christians in the last 2,000 years. We certainly uh, saw it in the 1900s with the world wars. And, and I feel it now. And I know many others who feel it now. And the fact is that now we are indeed a lot closer than we were back then. But this perception of Christ's imminent return in every generation can possibly be a, a source of discouragement. Like, okay, they, they thought he was returning in AD 100. They were like, seemed sure of it and they were so sure. And now here we are 2,000 years later and he hasn't come yet. And so how can I trust this perception within me that the time is near? Am I just sort of making this up? And I want to read uh, two things to, to respond to that doubt. First is a passage. 
And then an explanation that I like. Second Peter 3 says, Above all, you must understand that in the last day will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires, they will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And by these waters, also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the, the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Oh, it's coming. And we're closer now than ever before. He will fulfill his promise. And I like the following illustration or example that I heard about why each generation feels like the second coming will happen in their lifetime. Basically, first, first diagram, here's how we tend to look at the timing of the second coming of Christ. Um, We see it linearly. Like we're at a certain point on the line, time is passing, we're getting closer and closer to that on the line in the distance where he returns, where the kingdom will come in full. Um, But the next diagram is how I like looking at it. And in, in a way, both of these are true, by the way. But this, this way looks at it not necessarily like it's a point in the distance that we're getting closer to, but that we're running parallel to it. Jesus brought the kingdom right up to the doorstep with his first coming. At any given moment, the end could come. It's like walking parallel with a swimming pool where at any moment you could just turn and jump in. So even if it's 100 years off still, it's right there. We can sense it. We're near to it. It's, it's coming soon and someday it will. Praise the Lord. And so John is talking about the end says in verse 20, but you have an anointing. He's talking to believers here. You have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. It's encouraging. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is, the one, it is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. What I'll focus on first with this section is verse 22 and 23. The linchpin is Jesus. If you deny this, you're denying the Father. There's a reason why it's completely acceptable and fine to talk about God all day, but as soon as you mention Jesus, things can get a little uncomfortable in a conversation. It's one thing to say, in God we trust. It's a whole other thing to say, in Jesus we trust, right? Our faith isn't represented by the prayers prayed in Congress. In Jesus we trust, not in some generic God, some all-encompassing God. No, God is a God of jealousy. He has jealousy in the Old Testament, right? Right? There is no mixing. God is holy. That means set apart, not like others. In this world, in this country, we are surrounded by people that think they have the Father, 
Even though they've denied the son, but Jesus said, I and the father are one. There's no mistake. How can, you miss, how can you change the Greek? And in John 14, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Through Jesus is how we're made right with the Father. We, we was out there. We, though, have a potential within us Scripture says to deny the Son and still be completely convinced that we have the Father. Here are some ways that I see this denying the Son happening present day. One is people who call themselves Christians but don't believe in hell. or that everyone's going to hell, or that some people are going to, and everyone goes to heaven theology, or even a 99% of everyone goes to heaven theology is very common, yet it flies straight in the face, face of everything Jesus taught and undermines his whole reason coming to us. And everyone goes to heaven theology, denies Jesus is the savior. If everyone goes to heaven, who needs saved? When it says deny the son in verse 23, by the way, it means deny Jesus is the Christ. It's not deny that he existed or deny that he's important. It's a continuation of verse 22 when it says that the Antichrist deny Jesus is the Christ. Christ means Messiah. Messiah means Savior. That's what's being denied. Is, is Jesus being the Savior Another way of denying the Son, even though they, they might not think they are, is when they adhere to the belief that there are many ways to God, not just Jesus. When we believe that there are many ways to be made right with God, once again, we're denying any need for Jesus as the Savior because we're saying there are many saviors. Another way people deny the Son is when they pick and choose what parts of God's Word that they want to believe and then throw out other parts. And little do they realize they're actually pulling their foundation out from under their feet. Because if you say that, that we can't trust one part of the Bible, then how can you trust any of it? So, so if you're banking on the promise that God loves you and that you're forgiven and this whole revelation of who God is based on the Bible, but then throw out you know, parts of the Bible, that same Bible, because you don't like it or it makes you feel uncomfortable or it goes against the flow of culture, then how on earth can you know that God loves you and that you're forgiven? You can't. Unfortunately, denying the Son is not as simple as having right theology and believing that the whole Bible is true. We can deny the Son by our actions. It's very apparent throughout all 1 John, right? Whoever hates their brother and sister is still in the darkness, even though they think they're in the light. Titus 1.16, they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. Uh, but here's a more insidious way that I think that we can deny the son, that I think is more of a threat for me anyway, 
as time goes on is that we can deny the son that he's the savior, that he's a sufficient savior, that we need a savior by minimizing or, or not opening, owning up to our like ongoing. Just a little bit earlier, Don Stuber's sermon, 1 John verse eight, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we continue to be if, if we continue to buck constructive criticism from those around us, if we continue to be repulsed at the thought of apologizing to someone, if we continue to believe that sin and selfishness reside more in other people than in ourselves, ongoing, then we're denying the Son as our Savior instead of having a soft heart toward Him as our Savior. We're saying, no, I sin that much. Or as much as that person, my measure of righteousness, I think, is enough. I'm good with the Father. And there's an assurance there, but it's a counterfeit assurance with God. Something appearing real, but it's not. That's not a real assurance. It's not grounded in the real Savior, Jesus, on whom and through whom we have 100% assurance. And I'll come back to that. Verse 24, as for you, see that? What you have heard from the beginning remains in you. What do they, what do they hear from the beginning? We'll, we'll get to that. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. What they heard from the beginning was the gospel. Simply put, that Christ took on our sin and we were given his righteousness free. And he rose from the, de- he rose from the dead to prove that. The gospel is not the A, B, C, it's the A to Z. We remain in it. Of our, it's the A to Z of our relationship with the Father and the Son. It is to remain in us. We don't move on from it. Verse 26, I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. The warning in this verse is that we have the potential down the road, all of us, by the way, to be led astray, even if we're on the correct path right now. That's what the Greek on leading astray means, is that you were on the correct path, but then you were distracted. And so we must continually watch our life and doctrine closely, as 1 Timothy says. Verse 27, as for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. And I'm gonna point out something that's been happening all throughout this passage, 15 to 27, that's slightly harder to catch in the English but more obvious in the Greek. First of all, first of all, the anointing that we receive that it talks about in verse 20 and then also here in verse 27 is the Holy Spirit that believers receive when they place their faith in Christ. John 14, Jesus says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit teaches us what is true. And here in verse 27, it says that the anointing or the Holy Spirit in us is real, not counterfeit. And that word counterfeit in the Greek is pseudos, which means whatever is not what it seems to be. Here, it says that the anointing that teaches us is not 
pseudos. In other words, the Holy Spirit is what it seems to be. In other words, it speaks truth. It is what it seems to be. Pseudos is also the Greek word that's translated into lie in the passage in verse 20 when it says that no lie comes from the truth. Once again, pseudos means whatever is not what it seems to be. It's counterfeit. It doesn't last. Counterfeit things don't last like the real thing. I got a belt in East Asia on a mission trip once and it was authentic Tommy Hilfiger leather. And man, was it a good deal. Yeah, the leather started peeling off not too long after. Counterfeit things don't last. They promise but don't deliver. There's no substance. There might appear like there's substance only to be revealed as hollow. Colossians 2.8 says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Verse 26, John says that there are some that are attempting to lead them astray. All they have to offer are hollow hollow promises, counterfeit things don't last, they don't, they don't remain. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a ton of remaining going on in this passage. Six times the word remain happens, average every other verse. And the Greek word that's translated into remain here is meno. It means to continue to be present, to abide, to last, to endure. Uh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life pass away, it says. They don't endure. On the contrary, he who does the will of God lives forever. And actually, the Greek word translating, that's translated into lives there is actually meno. The redeemed will remain forever. They will last. Verse 19 the Antichrist showed they didn't belong to us because they didn't remain meno with us. They were counterfeits. They didn't last. They were not what they seemed to be. They are liars, a form of pseudos in verse 22. And a part of what they had to offer these false teachers was that counterfeit assurance like I mentioned a little bit before. Minimizing sin instead of maximizing a need for a savior. It's an assurance in ourselves that simply cannot deliver. Remain or meno is in verse 24 two times. And then the good news about meno, the Holy Spirit remains in us in verse 27. The Holy Spirit teaches us what is true, what's not a lie. The Spirit enables us to identify what is counterfeit in this world. Counterfeit beauty, ladies, in this world. Counterfeit masculinity, machoism, men. Counterfeit in this world. Counterfeit importance, counterfeit success, counterfeit hope. It's only a hollow hope the world has to offer. Counterfeits in degrees and careers and having kids and how many people like you, it's counterfeit. Counterfeit adventure in the world. Video games and other forms of entertainment and sports won't do it if you're not already getting adventure from Jesus. It won't last. Those things won't last. Counterfeit tolerance in this society. It only goes so far. 
counterfeit safety and security, counterfeit love and happiness, counterfeit friendships. I'm sure many of us have been a part of them. They're merely superficial. Counterfeit freedom, even though most are enslaved to their sin. Counterfeit counterfeit peace in this world. Vacations and retirement won't do it if you're not already getting peace from Jesus. And counterfeit righteousness of this world, just veneering over our sin and brokenness and the reality of death in life and that we're all headed there. The Spirit enables us to identify what is counterfeit because when we are taught and know what is true, we can begin to easily identify what is not true. And then in end of 27, we are called to remain in him, to endure. Basically, we are called to show ourselves not counterfeit, to show our faith not hollow. And here's an encouraging thing. It's remain, not attain. It's remain, not attain. Every other world religion is you better attain. You better attain favor from God. You better earn his love and forgiveness. You better attain nirvana, earn enlightenment, etc., etc. but not so with Christ. In Christ, we have God's love and forgiveness. We are right with him. We are just called to remain in that. And that is encouraging. And if we remain, just remain, there is reward. That eternal life, it says in verse 25, which is without end, never to cease, that which always will be. It's everlasting. It's everlasting. There are a ton of people in this nation that call themselves Christians that aren't remaining in Christ, blending in more and more with the world. And it's sad, it's sad. Jesus looked on Jerusalem and and wept over it. And may we be a people that weeps over these people. Stands for the truth, yes, and weeps over them, has compassion on them, not judgment, compassion. We're gonna be taking communion shortly. Praise the Lord. I think it's the first time since COVID, I think, maybe. We're gonna be taking communion shortly and that's one of the things that communion is, is saying, Jesus, I am remaining in you. I'm remaining in you. And then I'll pray to close. Because we have real life in Christ We can reject the counterfeit things that offer life in this world. We can reject our eyes when we begin to be enticed. Nope, that's fake. It won't fill me. It won't last. And because we have real assurance with God through Christ, we can reject that counterfeit assurance that our quote, quote, righteousness has to offer. Let me pray. Lord, we need you. God, we're just sheep. We get deceived so quickly and so often. Help us, Father. We want to remain in you. Thank you that you, your spirit remains in us. And may of communion be worshipful, God. And Lord, 
draw people here that don't know you into a relationship with you, seeing your blessing, Lord, that you don't offer anything that's counterfeit. Praise you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.